Has he officially been named the guy? I have not seen because I know him and Sitkowski were battling. Is it official that DeVito's the guy? I'm making it official. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, everything that I have, I relate to believe. I'll put it this way: if Sikowski is the guy, and you see him set foot on the field, I will take everything back about laying the <laughs> ten or eleven points. Hello and happy Friday! We made it, ladies and gentlemen. We are about twenty-four hours away from college football officially getting underway. I can't wait. I'm so excited, man. I love this time of year. Even though our games this week aren't the most exciting or sexy, we'll get into them here in just a little bit. It's college football. Today is Friday, August 26th. Welcome to Always College Football. Thanks for being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you're getting content, whether it's on ESPN's YouTube channel or if you're here with us via Spotify or Apple Podcasts, we really appreciate it. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We have a great show lined up for you today. We're going to talk Ohio State. Preview the Buckeyes, just like we did Georgia, just like we did Clemson, just like we did Alabama. If you're a preseason top four team, you get a breakdown just for you. We have Joshua Perry join us here, the former Ohio State linebacker, current commentator on several different platforms. So we'll have a great interaction with him as we dive deep into the Buckeyes roster here in 2022. And we're going to be joined, like we will be every Friday, by Chris the Bear Felica. We're going to go over this weekend's lineup, hit some games, hit some key numbers, maybe find a little value, maybe place a little action. It'll be a great time today as we get you prepared for week one next week. Not week one this week. Week zero, even though it's week one in my eyes. I don't know, it's just backwards to me. I told you yesterday. Like Week zero should be about the group of five. We should be celebrating the group of five. It should be the biggest, best group of five matchups that we could create in neutral site environments all over the country or home and home environments all over the country. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Give me group of five week zero. We don't have that this week, but either way, we're going to dive into the matchups. We'll do so with Chris, the bear Felica. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any, you know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. So happy to be joined now by Big Ten Network analyst Joshua Perry. He does an amazing job on the Big Ten Network, but everywhere I see him, he's always doing work. Y'all are always grinding. But I always think of him as the 2014. I was it, Were you a captain or are you just the best player on the team in my eyes? That's the way I see I- it. Listen, I, I can't go best player. I was the captain the next year, but I did lead the team in tackles. That is my only claim to fame from that year. <laughs> Star-studded group, though. If you're going to lead the team in tackles, it's good to see Bosa beneath you and all those other yeah, guys right? beneath you. That's a good spot to start, man. 
Uh, look, w- like we've done with Georgia and Aaron Murray, we did it with Eric McClain and Clemson. I did Bama. We're taking off the Big Ten Network hat. We're putting on a Buckeye hat for the next 15 to 20 minutes, if you're all right with that. Is that cool? Are your bosses at Big Ten it. Network good with that? They'll be all right. I think so too. If anyway, if nothing else, we're both wearing uh, we're both wearing scarlet. So that's you know yeah. we're in good shape. Um, being Buckeye homers here at least for the moment. Let's talk about the team. Uh, it feels like a team this year that is going to be as good as there's been in Columbus since 2015. Uh, we'll get into why I think that's the case and why it might not be the case. But just from a thirty thousand foot perspective. What did the momentum of the Rose Bowl do for this team in the offseason? I think it did a lot. And you talk about a year last year where, you know, fans weren't happy. Players weren't happy within that building. I know there was uh, obviously some coaching changes that went on that were necessary there. Uh, But that victory showed a lot of things. Number one, it showed grit. Like that was an Ohio State team where people questioned their toughness at times during the year. And we all know that Utah is a team that wants to knock you in the mouth. And they took all of the punches. They were able to get. Uh, high-flying offense, and even though the defense probably didn't play as well as they wanted, I think they had some performances that you can really lean on coming into next year. Uh, I look at a guy like Tommy Eichenberg, who had 17 tackles in that game, and a lot of people question his play throughout the year. And so you take that into the offseason, you build upon it, you can become a leader off of those types of performances. I think that's huge. But overall, too, I think that even though you get a Rose Bowl victory, you're not satisfied. Like 11-2 and in a Rose Bowl is not what Ohio State wants. And so even with the success, there's a lot of things that you can lean into during the offseason. It's always better going into the offseason saying, okay, we did these things well, but we're nowhere near where we want to be. And I think Ohio State used all that to their advantage, got back to some of the toughness things that they had done in the past. And I know uh, Ryan Day adopted the motto, tough love. And I think that's exactly what those guys need is a little bit of tough love. It, it was. It's not often that you see coaching changes after a year in which – you guys play as well as you did. You know, that's what I think it's, it'll get everyone's attention. It's like, all right, well, we were pretty good. Went to the national championship two years ago. Last year won the Rose Bowl, but hey, the status quo is not good enough, especially on defense. So Jim Knowles now being up there and you know what he's going to bring, an aggressive style, a multiple style more so than maybe the previous staff. What have you seen so far from Jim Knowles and that's going to give you confidence that that group will be significantly improved? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with how he got there. You know, Ryan Day decides he wants to go out and get the best guy uh, for the job. And so they opened up the pocketbooks, paying about, you know, what, two million bucks a year to go out there and be the defensive coordinator at Ohio State. It's a lot of money, but you're picking a guy who had a top five defense with only four and five star players basically out there on the football field. And you mentioned the aggression. That was one of the hallmarks. They were great in creating negative plays. They were great in holding teams on third down. They were great in the red zone, like all the things you want out of the defense. But the multiplicity that you mentioned is what stands out to me because, you know, we were all watching last year and you go out there and these cats, man, you know, it was basically single high coverage at the beginning of the year. And then they made a little bit of change. who was calling the defense after that. And you saw a little bit of too high sprinkled in, but like anybody watching the game knew exactly what it was going to be. Right. And with Jim Knowles, he plays those safeties at like nine yards. There's going to be five of them kind of in a curtain back there. You don't know who's dropping. You don't know if somebody's blitzing. You don't know which linebacker is about to run through a gap. You don't know what kind of twist you're going to get up front. And it's really unnerving, especially from your perspective. As a quarterback, you're looking like, (laughs) dude, what the hell is going to happen? And that's when you know that you can have a really good defense. It's going to create chaos. But you look at the roster, and one of the, the narratives from last year that really bothered me was that there weren't good enough players 
on Ohio State's defense. They recruited well for years. Players are good. And now you're going to pair them in a scheme that's going to allow them to play aggressive. And you feel like it might not be top 10 like Ryan Day said he wants, but it's going to be pretty daggone good. Well, one thing, part of the reason why you can be simple defensively is because you have better players. It's like, hey, why, let's not screw it up. Let's just go mono mono. Like, my corner is going to cover your best receiver. My pass rusher is going to beat your left tackle. And you don't have to mix it up because you're so dang talented that you don't have to do a whole lot of different things. So uh, it's not, I'm not going to say they're not good players, but are they to the standard of what's become accustomed to, of what we've become accustomed to when evaluating Ohio State defenders? For instance, like, is Jack Sawyer by the time we fast forward to season's end, going to be comparable to that if Chase Young or Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa or someone it might be an unfair, unfair, you know, level to hit or hurdle to get over. But when we compare Ohio State players to this year's Ohio State players to past year Ohio State players, like how do they stack up against the 14 team, the 15 team, the 19 team, et cetera? It's a really good question. And I, I think part of it is you become accustomed to having top five picks as your edge rushers. And it's it's really difficult to turn those guys year in and year out, but that's not an excuse. At Ohio State, that's the level that you expect. Um, to answer your question, I think Jack Sawyer can do it. I think JT Tui Molowal can do that. Absolutely. Like those guys have all of the talent. And I think that's why you went to some changes defensively if you're Ohio State. Like you felt like the player development needed to be accelerated, which is going to be important. But also when you play simple, the other thing you have to have is answers. Like if you're if you're playing that cover three, uh, you have to know where teams are going to try to hit you. And you have to have answers to cover it every time. And I go back to the national championship game against Alabama, and uh, you've got Devontae Smith on the line at number three. You know in three deep they're going to try to hit you with four verts, and they like that bender over the middle. And if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm trying to make sure that the guy who's dropping into the weak hook is going to be more of a safety body type than a linebacker body type. And you get a linebacker covering him, like it's it's not going to work out. And so the lack of that answer in your base defense is part of the reason why you make some changes. So I think part of it is now everybody's going to have more confidence in the player development, but also like schematically, you feel like you got confidence in some of the answers when things start to go a little bit awry. Yeah, I, I'm, no disrespect to Tough Borland, but him against Devontae Smith is a matchup that's favorable to the offense. It's just, you know, it's just, every time. Uh, give me that all day long. Linebackers, <laughs> I want no part of them in run stop. All right. I, I want no part of that. But if I can get you on an <laughs> island, we're, we're cooking. Um, what about the linebacker spot? So much obviously is put on that group in particular. You know that as well as anybody. The best Ohio State defenses have elite edge rushers, elite corners, and excellent linebacker play. So how does this group with Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and Tahada Mitchell, how do those guys stack up against some of the teams of years past? Yeah, I think that Steel Chambers is really coming along. And, and for him last year, you just you drop him in at linebacker. He's playing running back and you say, right. okay, we'll go run and hit and make some plays. And he ended up making plays, but it wasn't going to be perfect. Um, now I think that his mind is right. He's got a, a fresh slate. He's able to learn another year of linebacker play. That certainly helps. I mentioned Tommy Eichenberg coming off of that Rose Bowl and everybody talks about now how he's embraced a leadership role. And I think your, your, your best leaders have to come from that linebacker room on defense. Obviously, I'm going to be biased saying that, but the best <laughs> teams that I was on had really strong leadership out of the linebacker room defensively. Um, and so I think that's a big storyline. You mentioned Taraja Mitchell. He's a veteran guy. They say that he's doing all the things necessary, and I hope that he can get out there, make some plays this year. But the guy that everybody's kind of wondering about is the freshman, C.J. Hicks. 
And you look at him just from what his body looks like as a young player. Oh my gosh. Like I, I would have never been recruited at Ohio state because I look (laughs) nothing like that guy right now. Uh, And so that's where you really start to say, okay, we've got some options. You feel like there's a little bit more depth building in that room. You feel like there's confidence, there's leadership emerging. Uh, and, And quite frankly, like, the best way to learn is is when you get kicked right in the teeth, and they got kicked in the teeth a few times a year ago. Now, there's a lot of familiar faces in the back end, though. Uh, Proctor's back. He's big time. I think he's got a chance to have a really nice year coming back off that leg injury last year. Hickman's back. Denzel Burke's back, even though I think he's got a chance to take a pretty good-sized step this year uh, as a sophomore. So how would you assess the back end right now as far as the depth and versatility they'll have at both safety and corner? Yeah, it's a really good back end. And I, this is a, a safety-driven defense, as I kind of alluded to earlier. And Jim Knowles has mentioned that. I think they're going to be just fine. You talk about Josh Proctor. That loss was huge a year ago huge. because he is he's the edge on that defense just in terms of having that tenacity and that toughness. Like, I would watch this dude come from 12 yards deep and make a play two yards away from the line of scrimmage and absolutely annihilate somebody. Yeah. And you missed that for the bulk of the year last year. And so having that presence back there, I think, is big. Ronnie Hickman, phenomenal athlete, somebody who has taken on a leadership role as well. And he understands that he needs to be versatile within this scheme. And I think that's big. Um, You talk about the corners. You mentioned Denzel Burke. And from what I'm hearing and what I've seen is they're expecting him to be the next Bradley Roby, um, you know, the next Denzel out there. Like he's one of those types of guys. It's just about the work that he needs to put in day in and day out. But he's got that level of athleticism. Um, so you feel really good about it. Um, again, a lot of the same faces we saw from a year ago, but the narrative is totally flipped on these guys within this new defense. You got to see it. And Notre Dame's going to be a tough challenge early on. Uh, but you play five games at home early. You get Wisconsin at home before you go on the road. Like feels like you, you get a, a little bit of an advantage in terms of working some things out, being in a comfortable environment. But um, these guys all know what they have to be. And there's a lot of pressure from outside, from within, for them to get back up to that standard. Yeah, you notice how our first like seven questions have been on that side of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I could talk defense all day. Well, I know you probably want to get over to the offense. <laughs> I mean, if we're honestly going to sit here, like, there's not that much assessment to be done from from Ohio State's offense. Like, look at the no. numbers, watch the tape. It's like it's right there in front of you. So I'd love to ask you about about the offense, but I just don't feel like there's many answers that are needed. Everything's a known commodity now. We know Jackson Smith and Jigba's the one at wide receiver. That's to be expected. Going to play the slot, ton of volume, get a ton of catches. But where does it go beyond him? Like, what's the pecking order at wide receiver? Because we know he's one. I feel like it's going to be Marvin Harrison. Maybe it's Julian Fleming. I I don't really know who two, three, four, five, and six are. Yeah. So you mentioned Jackson, like known commodity. The Rose Bowl that he had is the greatest receiving performance and bowl game history. We can expect a lot more of that. You mentioned Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, I, I do a, a training camp tour of the Big Ten. Obviously excited every time I can get back to Columbus. And I'm watching these guys practice, man. And this dude is absolutely electric. And he is a long receiver, but he's rocked up, like really built well. But the one thing that I noticed is he has a long torso, which means that he has lower hips, a lower center of gravity for a taller wide receiver. So he is as fluid as any big receiver you'll see getting in and out of breaks. And I think that's a huge advantage in his game because it gives you a little bit of versatility and where you want to plug him in offensively. And so I can't wait to see what he looks like. Julian Fleming's a guy who's been around the program, has been waiting for that break. 
dealt with some injuries, but again, another rocked up wide receiver. He's got natural hands, good route runner, all the things that you want. You can go down the list. Emeka Buka, another guy who's been around, they're expecting to be big. Uh, Jaden Ballard is a younger player who started to emerge as well. Um, if there's one thing that Ohio State is going to give you now, it's some great wide receiver play. And it seems like year in and year out, you know, when Chris Olave came onto the scene, nobody really knew who he was, wasn't a very highly recruited guy, ends up being a first round pick. We knew what Garrett Wilson was going to be, and he lived up to all that hype. And now I feel like they got some more of those guys in the pipeline where you plug them and you play them and they're going to be exceptional. It's phenomenal. I remember actually being at one of Chris Olave's first practices, like 2017 or something like that. And maybe 2018, we were doing a game. And I remember Urban Meyer saying, that dude right there is going to be unbelievable. I go, Olive? Who the heck is this guy? <laughs> like, yeah, right. No, <laughs> sure enough, he was right. That's for I was like, Olive? I've never even heard of, was he did he was he a walk-on? Like, who is this guy? Uh but anyways, <laughs> he obviously Urban hit that one on the head. Um, we don't really need to talk about CJ Stroud. That kind of goes without saying the guy's phenomenal. Quick release. Um great arm athletic, all those other things. I want to talk kind of a little bit more about his supporting cast. How's the offensive line? Because this is a group, and, and this might sound harsh, and I, I feel like Ohio State fans will kind of understand where I'm coming from. They kind of look like Tarzan, but don't play like Tarzan all the time. You know, like I feel yeah. like this group, it's 6'8 across the board. Like everyone's just literally straight out of a factory. All the offensive linemen look like the New York Giants. But they don't play with that same level of physical intensity every single down. Can we expect a more consistently physical group up front this year? You know, that was one of the, the changes that was made on the offensive staff. The only change there was bringing in Justin Fry from UCLA to coach that offensive line. And I've got to spend some time with him. I think he's phenomenal. He coaches like a raving lunatic. That's exactly what they need. But <laughs> Perfect he's a guy offensive line coach. What, what other yeah. position? <laughs> offensive line, defensive line, you got to be crazy to coach one or the other. <laughs> no, seriously. But I mean, he's a guy who understands being a technician. He he puts um, equal focus on the run game and the pass game. And I, I think that they were phenomenal protecting CJ Stroud last year, but the run game is where they need more edge. Right. And it's interesting because I was ranking uh, Big Ten players leading up to the season. And a lot of Ohio State fans were like, oh, you're not giving our offensive line enough love. And I'm kind of with you in the fact that if I was doing a draft board, I would probably slot them differently because these are sure. guys that you want to draft. They've got all the measurables. They are very athletic players. They do all the things right. But am I seeing that edge? Like, you know, it's third and two. You absolutely need to run the football. Are they firing off the line of scrimmage and creating that push? Yeah. And I felt like there was something left to be desired there. And I think that they've understood that challenge through the offseason. They're going to rise up to that occasion. But I, I'm going to be looking early on for this offense to say, okay, we're going to establish the run. We're going to set the tone. And they've got great running backs that they'll be able to cycle in. Uh, but I'm I'm totally with you on that. Is everything is there from a measurable standpoint? Like these are all the guys that you want to recruit. But right. are they going to go out there and play like badasses? Yeah, like where's Billy Price? You know, like who yeah. will literally you are going to stand where you're going to stand, and I'm going to move you, whether you like it or not. You know, <laughs> like and it's yeah. it's something. Um obviously at Ohio State, the sky's the limit, uh national championships the goal. Uh, no denying that. But as you look at this schedule, and we're kind of breaking it down a little bit. By the way, do you feel like I, you need to add anything on CJ Stroud or Travion Henderson? Because I don't, I don't. I feel like we, you know, we've talked about them for eight months. I feel like everyone's pretty well versed on what they are. Is there anything you'd like to add that maybe you know as an insider with what those two bring to the backfield? 
No, I mean, C.J. Stroud, the biggest thing for him this year is is taking that step in leadership. I mean, last yeah. year he hadn't thrown a pass in a collegiate game. We're way past that point, like command of the offense. I think he did a good job of that last year. Um, Trevion Henderson, absolutely phenomenal. I, yeah. Just as a young player, did a lot of things well. I think his patience and, and understanding truly of the scheme and where the runs are supposed to hit is the next step for him. But Mayan Williams is a guy who I think deserves a, a little bit of credit here. He is. And he's he's one of those players that in a lot of other schools, he would have jumped in the portal. He was averaging yeah. over seven yards a carry a year ago, but he's not the feature back in the offense. But, I mean, anytime he gets in the game, you know that it's going to be a tough downhill run. So I'm excited <laughs> to see him play as well. No, he gets north and south. There ain't no doubt. And at 240 yeah, or whatever he is, he he better. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> all right, looking at the schedule, um, I, I – I got to be honest, I'm trying to find where they're going to stub their toe. Uh, I feel like it's one of those situations where the only way they lose is if they lose. It's not going to be that what somebody else does. Like Ohio State's going to have to screw it up. And that's no disrespect to Penn State or Michigan State or any of the other great teams that are they're going to be playing against in the Big Ten East, which I think is an excellent league. But I feel like they, they're the kind of – it's kind of on them. If they show up and play their A game, nobody's touching them, at least on their regular season schedule. Yeah, I, I think these are the the few things that could kill him this year is if you get injuries, obviously, sure. um, that changes the complexion of the team. I think if you have one of those games where, you know, you just turn the football over, you do uncharacteristic dumb things, that can certainly hurt you because there are teams in, in, in the Big Ten that will be able to take advantage of that. Um, and that's really it. Like on defense, if you cut guys loose in the back end, playing a little bit too aggressive, maybe you give up some big plays, but you feel like you got the firepower offensively to overcome <laughs> – those situations anyway. So uh, I don't see a lot of challenges. But one thing I will say is I think there's a good chance that when the Wolverines go to Columbus for that last weekend of the regular season, they'll be undefeated as well. And wow. that's going to be a big battle. And I know Michigan lost a lot of players and they've got a, a quarterback question going on. They've had some turnover with coordinators, but watching them practice, it feels like they've got the same edge. All the storylines from the offseason are done. Those guys are grinding. They're working. And their schedule really sets up, too. I mean, you look at their non-con, it's not difficult at all. Um, they'll have a chance to work through some of the issues that might pop up early on in the season. And they have a different perspective and mentality now because, you know, they they got over this hump of not being able to beat Ohio State a year ago. Then they go out and they actually win the Big Ten Conference and they make it to the college football playoff for the first time and they lost. And when I talked to those players, they said there was so much unfinished business and the narrative has not been like that for Michigan in a little while. So that'll be a great battle. That's the way that I like it. As a guy who played at Ohio State and as a fan of the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry, I want it to be a great game. But up until that point, it's, I mean, both of these teams should have, a, a, you know, they should be able to go out there and handle business. I'm just proud of you for not referring to him as the team up north. That's great. Yeah, uh, well. <laughs> not that if you had you called him TTUN, uh, <laughs> we would have been perfectly fine. Uh, I would have understood completely where where it was coming from. I would just say this, and just maybe because I'm a, I would call that game in 2018. Be careful of the road trip to College Park in the second to last week of the season. Like yeah. you just said, Michigan's going to be circled. We know that. Be careful with that road trip because I remember just how close that game was when it shouldn't have been. In 2018, I know you remember too as a Buckeye fan. Yeah, that was the uh, that was the the two point conversion there at the end. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, well, the, their running so, back Anthony McFarland uh, yeah. had two carries for 160 yards and two touchdowns um, with yeah. about 
13 minutes left to play in the first quarter. So yep. it was yep. uh, it was a track in, meet. In, Maryland is uh, they're a sneaky team. If they weren't playing in the Big Ten East, it'd be a different story right. behind them. But you got Leah Tungavailoa, who I know you're familiar with, and I think the world of him. He had a terrible game against Iowa last year, and you take that out of there. Stats look pretty daggone pretty good, good yeah. for that guy. Uh, their wide receiver room, you could rival with any of the best in the country as well. And defensively, they took some steps at the end of the year. So certainly agree. It's going to be about focus. But I think also when you're on that championship path, and I've been – on both sides of this as a player. In 2014, we took a loss early and we were able to refocus everything, um, make sure that we didn't look overlook anybody on the schedule toward the end of the year. And we were able to get the wins in gritty fashion, especially when we needed them. Um, and that's the championship mentality. But you flip it over to my senior year in 2015 and you get that nasty game against Michigan State where it's wet and it's raining and nobody's really moving the football. And that's what you have to try to avoid. But I don't think that they have the same makeup that our locker room had that year. We had so many all-world guys that were coming back, and we just knew that we were going to repeat as champions, and we didn't have that focus. And this team doesn't have the luxury of doing that because they didn't hit the standard the year before. So I don't think that focus is going to be an issue for them down the line. Awesome stuff, man. Great, great breakdown. Really appreciate it. All right, you can put your Big Ten Network hat back on, even though you did that the last couple minutes of the interview. But that was great stuff. We look forward to doing it again, Josh, man. Thanks again. No doubt, and I appreciate you having me. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thrilled to now be joined by our good friend, friend of the show, weekly guest, Chris the Bear Felica of College Football Game Day, College Game Day, doing Thursday night football. He's all over the place, so he'll carve out some time with us every single week to help preview the lines and the action for the weekend's game. So with some games coming up this weekend, we had to have a bear. What's going on, my friend? Nah, not my word. Just uh, itching to go for this weekend. It, it's funny. Uh, it, it's not often that you'd be uh, super excited for a uh, for a Hawaii Vandy game, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's what we got late on Saturday night, and, and I'm sure we are all going to be uh, anxiously searching for that game and, and awaiting for that game as the uh, – as for the traditional get out game on Saturday night, hopefully yeah, well, we won't have to get. Hopefully it won't be a get out game. Hopefully it'll be a. <laughs> hey, you know what? Oh, it's their money. I'll play yeah, with it. And then I'll dabble. Try and train. Exactly. There you go. Uh, I think that that game's interesting. By the way, I'll tell you why in a minute. Um, let's start with some of the under the radar games. Some early steam bear that I caught my attention. Okay, Nevada and New Mexico State. This game opened at twelve and a half. Yeah. Money just all just pouring in on New Mexico State, steamed all the way down to nine. 
Now you see it in some places, nine and a half, nine. When you see that kind of movement in week zero, what does that trigger for you? It's it's a play because that, that steam was legit steam and a legit move as a reaction to what's been, what's been happening at Nevada. Uh, with a new head coach, they lost so many guys in the portal. They lost guys to academics. They lost guys to injury. Uh, they, they, this is a team, I think, uh, in transition this year. And and I actually played – I'm glad you brought this up because I actually played uh, Nevada as a win total uh, under four and a half. I did not play the New Mexico State game because I did not get down in time to, to take advantage of the move. But I did take uh, – Texas State uh, next week, uh, I think I got them at plus nine or so, uh, and I think that number has come down. So I, I think at the very least for next week, I'm going to have a nice middle uh, opportunity with the Nevada-New Mexico State game. But but that, that, that's certainly like, – I can't trust New Mexico State uh, because they're one of the worst teams in the country. <laughs> uh, is, is Nevada going to be that bad? I don't know. But at the same time, the, the move the move in the steam uh, was legit coming from – Guys in the know where it's a reaction to Nevada, who is probably uh, not going to be very good this year. See, you say that, Bear, and then I looked at New Mexico State week one. They play against Minnesota. Minnesota opened as a 38.5-point favorite. Now that number has steamed down to 36.5. So it made me think, it's like, is there something that we're missing with New Mexico State? So when you see consecutive weeks where there's heavy steam, is that an autoplay? Do you do you stay away? Like, it just does it freak you out? <laughs> the second this, this, the, the Minnesota game would certainly would not be uh, an autoplay for me. I, I think probably a couple of things that might have triggered that was that you would have the team which has played a game already as north of a five touchdown underdog right. against a power five team that hasn't played. Um, got upset by Bowling Green last year. Uh, I think they have. I think Colorado is the game that I think Minnesota has mm-hmm. after that. So may, maybe you think of okay, look ahead to a to a Power Five opponent. So I think those are probably the factors that that came into that line moving down a little bit. Yeah. Where else in the college football world can you get four minutes on New Mexico State? All right, that's <laughs> that's what we're here for at Always College Football. All right, moving to some bigger games, some bigger teams. Uh, this one kind of jumped out to me, Nebraska Northwestern. Everyone wants to remember last year, but I think the the average better, that's the casual gambler. I would put twenty bucks on a side. I would think they'd see that two touchdown number just south of two touchdowns. The line's at thirteen right now in favor of Nebraska, and they think Pat Fitzgerald Northwestern. They were bad last year. No way they're going to play poorly again. Wait, hang on a second. Nebraska is laying almost two touchdowns against a well-coached team. To me, it's Nebraska hammer. Uh, like I love this really? Nebraska. I, it is. It's a hammer to me. And it's and I look. I love Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern as much as the next guy. I think they're very, very, very subpar from an athleticism standpoint. I think they have really solid pieces along the offensive line. They lack firepower. And I think the defense is susceptible. Plus, Mark Whipple has the OC for Nebraska. They have a bit of a, uh, not that like you know who Mark Whipple is, but there's a bit of unknowns for the Mm -hmm. preparation that Northwestern's going to have heading into the game. So the art of the unknown, I think, favors Nebraska as well. So I lean Nebraska heavy in this game. I think they win this game going away and kind of exercise the demons of the 2021 season. Yeah, because I, I think people might just automatically react to assuming what you saw Mark Whipple do at Pitt last year with Kenny Pickett. 
And that offense is going to be the same thing that they're, they're going to have this week, this year with Casey Thompson. And they're probably different types of players and there'll probably be some wrinkles you haven't seen. Like this number, again, you talked about steam. This number has rapidly climbed. And I think that's one of the reasons why I have a hard time getting to Nebraska in this game, knowing that I could have laid eight and a half or nine or whatever. And now you got to lay 13 or so. Like I have trouble with that, especially with a team that hasn't learned how to win, hasn't learned how to lay that hammer down. I'm probably going to take a little bit of a wait and see approach. If anything, I'm going to do uh, probably maybe a money line parlay, uh, use Nebraska, use a couple of other games that might be going on on Saturday to, to just try and get a little bit of a bankroll heading into the big week. But I'm with you. I am high on Nebraska this year. Uh, I, I think they're going to be, they're going to be a, a, a sneaky good team. If you look at their numbers from last year, uh, their, their metrics look much closer to a, to an eight and four, nine and three type of team, but they just found ways to lose games. And now with Thompson, uh, with an entirely new staff, with Whipple, I would expect Nebraska to, to have a much better year this year. And, and, and I'm with you. I think that was the immediate reaction with a lot of people about Northwestern. Oh, there's no way they could be this bad. But, but this team was, I mean, if it wasn't for Indiana, I mean, they, they would have been far and away the worst team in the league uh, last year. So uh, I don't know how much is there. I, I also just have these visions of Pat Fitzgerald uh, running around. Fitzgerald in Ireland, Dublin, he's going to have the shorts on and the <laughs> T-shirt rolled up all ready to go, just all excited. So that, that visual kind of scares me a little bit as well. But uh, if I had to play the game, uh, I hate chasing lines, but I probably would lay it with Nebraska. But I'm certainly going to play uh, Nebraska on the line. Maybe tease it below a touchdown if you could do that. Uh, that way you can maybe avoid a little back during shirts. What about this one, Bear? Charlotte and Florida Atlantic. The game opened at six and a half. It's steamed to seven. I look at what Charlotte brings back. Veteran quarterback, good run game, a lot of experience on the defensive side. There's, to me, Will Healy's team in Charlotte, the 49ers, this is a game that I feel like they will keep close. They might not win it outright. I think FAU has more talent, but the continuity that comes back after a disappointing season last year and really the year before Charlotte's had really back-to-back disappointing years after the bowl trip mm-hmm. that they made in 2019. I get the sense though, that they're going to heading into the American, the roster has improved. They're going to carry some momentum in. So even if they don't win, I expect them to keep it close. So I'm taking the points with the Niners on the road at the owls. Do you like that side? I, I am. Well, we've seen Will Haley's team play some, some bigger name opponents, uh, tough in the past and I'm not sure how much better FAU really is they were a team that I thought could be sneaky good last year and they started out fairly well but then they just completely fell apart down the stretch defensively had all sorts of problems uh, is Nikosi Perry uh, who turned the ball over a ton at Miami is he really going to be the answer at quarterback I don't know I I don't know you hear rumblings about their being issues around the FAU program. Uh, I don't know. At seven, I'm definitely uh, very interested in taking Charlotte plus the points here. I don't even spring. I don't even hate sprinkling a little on the money line plus 230. I, I no, just, not at all. I mean, why not? If they're going to win, I mean, if they're going to keep it close, they might as well win. You know, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, so those, those, those six and a half, seven point underdogs on the money line, getting when you're getting around 230, 240 back, I think those, those underdogs. I think they win at a high enough clip 
where that is a a, a pretty good ROI on your on your on your money. Uh, Connecticut and Utah State. I know you're a UConn homer. Uh, oh, given absolutely. How much, just a diehard of stores. Um, new coach. Difficult to kind of gauge where Connecticut's at. I remember seeing this number last year. They opened, I believe it was against Fresno State. I think Fresno was like a 31-point favorite, and everyone (laughs) and their brother's like, how can you possibly lay that many points with Fresno? Well, sure enough, it wasn't enough. They they destroyed UConn. Uh, Utah State's a team that won a lot of games last year but do have to replace some key pieces, and they have Bama in week one, maybe a look-ahead scenario. Would you be comfortable laying four touchdowns with Utah State? Yeah, the numbers actually ticked below 28. I've seen, I think we've seen 27, 20, and 27 and a half. And, and I'm, I wouldn't be comfortable taking UConn. I, I think what, what you said is true. I think oh, there might be people out there just assuming, oh, they're looking forward to Bama, but looking forward to Bama for what? To go down and lose by four touchdowns? It's not, not like they're going to be going down to Alabama to win. Um, that's actually one of the reasons why I actually took under. Uh, Utah State season win total. You you swap out Washington State last year for Alabama this year, so you're 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 taking a win and turning it into a loss. And you lost to BYU, you lost to Boise, you got them back, and, and you lose a lot of things. So, well, uh, we both liked Utah State last year. I think there are reasons to be a, a long term sell on them or a long term hesitancy. Uh, I would say this year, uh, Bonner coming off with the knee injury year two with Blake Anderson there. Uh, Okay. UConn, I mean, you don't want to say they can't be worse because I'm sure they probably can, but you bring in the quarterback transfer from Penn State. Uh, Jim Moore, you would think, would have them much more competitive. But, I mean, this is game This is game one of year zero. I mean, they, they don't have any players. Right. So uh, I think last I think last year we were, we might, have, might have been a little guilty early on that nobody knew, like, how good Jake Hayner and that offense was. Right. And that kind of was like, whoa. And, and then – and then the combination of UConn just being worse than people think. This this would be a pass for me. If anything, I would take Utah State, but uh, I, I probably won't have anything other than if I can find a ridiculously high money line to to throw in a parlay, which I probably can't. Not <laughs> I don't know that, how. Not, you, not, I, not, not, not 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 in four touchdowns. No, I don't know. I just don't understand how you could lay four touchdowns in week zero. I'm sorry. I just maybe Utah State's the, the second coming of the '85 Bears. They shut them out. And they look like LSU in 2019 on offense, but I'm, I have a difficult time assuming that. So uh, let's get to the closest game on paper of the weekend. Two teams that have bowl hopes this year. North Texas finished with the flurry last year, really established an identity to control the line of scrimmage, run the football. UTEP, sneaky good football team, very, very tough, have done a great job of revitalizing that program in recent years. Line opened with North Texas as a slight two-point favorite. That line has now moved to one not sure that's much of an indicator, but I this game's a coin flip. It's a stay away for me, no doubt about it. Stay away, but I didn't know if you had a lean in one direction or the other. Yeah, I, I really don't. I, I'd like to see what direction uh, UTEP goes this year because uh, everyone got very excited after the start they had last year. Then they kind of wore out down the stretch. Um, I'm curious to see what I think there are reasons to like both of these teams as the year goes on and when they get into further into conference play and get some other teams. But I, I just – it would just be a guess. This this is this is a game, I think, simply for action junkies. They, they, you just want to have a play <laughs> on this game in, in, in week zero. So, yeah, I, I can't really add anything here for you. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I don't know why you would. I, it's a stay away. Like, if you want action, find it, but do so reasonably and responsibly. And then finally, in the nightcap, uh, 
the usual get out of jail free card that Hawaii brings you is a fascinating approach. See this game opened at six, uh, steamed all the way up to Vanderbilt now being favored by eight and a half in most places. Th- that to me is a lot of movement. And I, I know Vanderbilt went out. This is not a regular season game, so they have ample time to get prepared. Mm-hmm. They went out on Tuesday, so they got four good days to get prepared, to acclimate, and all these other things. But there's also four days to be distracted by what might be sitting right in front of them. I cannot feel comfortable or confident laying north of a touchdown on the road against Hawaii and the island because when you play Hawaii, you're not just playing the football team. You're playing everything (laughs) else as well. No, you're not. I can't get confident backing backing the the doors at all. (laughs) You know they're staying at the Waikiki Sheridan. Like You know exactly where they're at. You're right next to Duke's Lahaina Club. Like You just got to be very, very careful (laughs) when you go over there for sure, given all the distractions that could pop up. And some teams handle it great. Some teams handle it poorly. I I don't know how Vanderbilt's going to handle it. I really don't. That's why I cannot confidently lay eight and a half points. Yeah, I, I I think this game might even hit. Now, I know a lot of people that like Vanderbilt quite a bit in this game. Now, I, that was probably more at, at six, six and a half, seven and eight and a half. But uh, I think the thought is that Hawaii, where the, the program was absolutely gutted and, and the purge of players and everybody running off uh, after Todd Graham's departure, uh, now you're bringing Timmy Chan. No one knows what to expect. From the, uh, the the Hawaii offense, you would expect they're just going to throw the ball a million times a game, and uh, that would offer a lot of opportunities for a potential backdoor touchdown. But while Vandy should control the line of scrimmage, again, a team that doesn't really know how to win, yeah, you can take this as, I think, one of two ways. You can take it either A, they know this is one of the few opportunities that they have to win, and you're, they're, they're going to be solely focused and dialed in and put forth uh, an effort resembling that, or like they're in a role that they're not familiar with, and they and maybe they play a little, a little tighter, a little nervous. So, uh, if I had to play this game, I would play Hawaii plus the. I might wait it out a little bit and, and see if it hits. Like it's being the last game of the day, you know that people I think will play <laughs> play Vandy, maybe play the favorite, bet this thing up to nine, and, and wait. So I'd wait it out. And you missed, by the way. I got it. You are not in midseason form because you missed the the only you missed the only game of the day that I truly love. Wyoming, Illinois. You're really going to go yes. Wyoming, Illinois? Yeah, I am. I I love Illinois in this game. I, I think eleven you, points. It, it's up to eleven now. So so I'm all the reaction. It's eleven now. I'll, I'll still lay eleven. I lay ten. I lay ten. So I'd lay eleven. It's. A, I don't think that's a. A massive deal. Uh, but you bring in Lunny as an offensive coordinator that you're familiar with. Uh, they really struggled at times last year on offense. Well, not at times. Most of all of last year on offense. But you've got two good backs. Tommy DeVito, who in, in 19 had a good year. Uh, it's, it's Syracuse, a quarterback. You bring him in. Is he officially like, he is he officially been life. named the guy? I have not seen because I know him and Sitkowski were battling. I, he's, is it official yeah, that DeVito's the guy? Be, yeah, it's I'm making it official. Now, yeah. <laughs> I, I, everything that I've I've led to believe, it, it, I will put it this way: If Sikowski is the guy and you see him set foot on the field, I will take everything back about laying the <laughs> ten or eleven points because I think that was he was probably he was the biggest problem I think with that offense last year. But defensively, they were really good. But it's also more of a play against Wyoming here, and, and you and I have talked about Wyoming 
a lot in the past. We love Craig Ball. We love what their program is. Pull some upsets. But you 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 lose both of the quarterbacks from last year. You, you lose Valaday, the running back. You lose both of your wide receivers, one of whom would transfer to Texas and unfortunately uh, was injured. And you you were kind of sporadic on offense, even with all of those guys. So I don't know how you can expect to go to Illinois with a with that offense against a defense that kept most Big Ten teams in check last year, and expect to come out with the win. So I am a as long as I see Devito under center for Illinois, I'm pretty confident about laying double digits. Sounds like an under play too for the for the Bear. What, what do you think? Yeah, what's it? What, what's a team total under for Wyoming? I haven't looked and seen. That, uh, I have seen not seen team yet, totals that, yet. That, that's another. That's another way to, to – if you don't want to lay the double digits with, with Illinois, on Wyoming team total under would probably be uh, another smart way to play this. Yeah, I'm assuming it'll be somewhere around 16 and a half uh, just okay. or so because total. 44 is the total, 11 is the line, 16 and a half feels about right. So we'll see exactly where it ends up. Yeah. Bear, great stuff, man. Anything you like next Thursday that we need to dabble on real quick that you're kind of yes. a little look ahead so yeah. we'll have you back for yeah. a week. What do you I'm, like? I'm, I'm look I'm looking at Penn I'm looking at Penn State Purdue and, and looking at Purdue as a short home dog. I think a lot of people are going to be high on Penn State this year. Uh off of last year a lot of people, a lot of people will be down on Purdue losing Bell uh in, in losing Carlaftis and losing Lambert. Those short home dogs, uh, or rather short home short road favorites. Uh I think I think the public likes to bet those teams uh w- with a lot of regularity. So Purdue, I think it's gonna be a tough place to play. I think it's gonna be off the hook. I'll be very interested in taking the boilermakers at home on Thursday night. Yeah, you won't find any pushback from me. I, the day I bet against Purdue as a home dog, a short home dog, bang like that, you alluded bang to. that big you-know-what drum. Get that big old drum out <laughs> and start it. They said they couldn't fit it through at the at, at what? Uh, the stadium there in Nashville. They can fit yeah. it into their home yeah. stadium. I can yes, promise can. you that. Yes, they can. They got a nice big wide area in that, in that one end zone to get it through. <laughs> Great job, Bear. Awesome stuff, man. We look forward to having you back next week, and good totally. luck this weekend. Same to you. Have a great weekend, everybody. All right. Thanks to the Bear. Thanks to Josh Perry. What a great show today. As we are just hours away from week zero getting underway, we're so happy that you spent the last Friday before football season with us here at Always College Football. Please like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get the content. We really appreciate the interaction that we've gotten with you up to this point. We're only going to get better from now. You heard what we did today. That's every Friday. Bear will be with us. We'll be breaking down the games. We'll be talking about the teams. We have a lot to look forward to here over the next 15 to 20 weeks. We made it, y'all. Congrats. We appreciate you. And we look forward to spending the next, gosh, 20 weeks with you. Like, rate, and subscribe. Hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Hit us with a mailbag question. We look forward to getting that. Also, hit us up on social media at alwayscfb on Instagram and on Twitter. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. Hope you have a wonderful day and happy week zero. It's Always College Football.